this weekend I had a tweet that somewhat went viral. And I mentioned that a basketball mind that I respect brought up an interesting point about Imani Bates. He mentioned that if Imani Bates spent the last two years at overtime, he believes that he could be, could be a projected top 10 pick. Well, in this episode, I have the basketball mind I respect, Rossi Karen on, and we're going to elaborate about the conversation that we had a few days ago. Stay tuned to hear more about his thoughts on why Imani Bates' draft stock would be a lot higher than it is today if he went to overtime and why he is such a fan of overtime elite and their setup. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to and faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. Hopefully everybody had a good Super Bowl weekend. I'm a basketball guy, so I slept through most of the Super Bowl. Um, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. But I am Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And my guest today, and this has been in the works for a little under a year. We met at the Combine last year in Chicago. It is Rossi Karen. He is a guy, that, a man, I shouldn't say a guy, a man that wears many hats. He is the founder of U Sports. He started off in grassroots basketball. He has a sports management company, does marketing, does media. And he is the man behind the comments or the, the tweet about Imani Bates and and the Overtime Elite. So, Rossi, how is everything going? And can you give the audience a little bit uh, about, about your background? So that way they'll understand why I say you are a basketball mind that I respect. What's going on, Rafi? I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited to talk hoops with you. Uh, Rossi Karen here. Uh, I spent 15 years in grassroots basketball. Um, I started a, a basketball skill development company that, that ultimately evolved into a um, grassroots program called Basketball University. Um, so I spent 15 years in that space. Um, our program played on the Adidas circuit um, and, and was able to work with a lot of um, you know high-level guys that went on to play at the, the collegiate level and, and a couple that have, that have gone on to to you know, put their their feet on the court in the NBA game. So I'm um, excited to be here. Excited to talk hoops and excited to to kind of talk a little bit about grassroots NBA draft overtime elite and and Imani based that about that tweet that you you started that's that's firestorm with. Yeah. So I, I'll be honest, man. I, I had no idea it was going to do the numbers that it did. Last I looked at over like a hundred and thousand hundred thousand impressions, a lot of dialogue, and of course with. Twitter, you only get a certain amount of characters and you can't really elaborate on it. So I'll, I'll read the tweet again. And the exact words are, a basketball mind I respect brought up an interesting point regarding Imani Bates. He asked, how much differently would Imani be viewed if he spent the last two years developing that overtime? He believes Imani would be a projected top 10 pick if he took the overtime elite route. And then I asked for thoughts. So I'll just read the first the first question that came up, and it says, and it's from a guy Jeff Peterson. He says, "If that is true, what is the lesson 
Is he a top 10 pick right now? No. Why? Because he hasn't played himself into the top 10. So either this person is saying he would have developed more at overtime elite, or we have to take players from overtime elite with a grain of salt. So you are saying that he would have developed more at overtime elite. So can you elaborate on why you believe he would have developed more? Um, I don't know necessarily if he would have developed more, but I think that when you're a top tier guy um, and you, you've seen this with the draft, a lot of being drafted and we're only talking about guys that are good enough. Okay. So I'm not talking about some mythical guy who's, who's not a good player, not good enough to play um, at the next level. He's good enough to play at the next level, but a lot of it is about momentum. And I think that he had unbelievable momentum. He was one of the guys that, that, you know, he was the number one player in the class. And, you know, he was talked about to be one of the next, the next greats. And I think sometime if you put yourself in position to be exposed too early um, and college basketball is a place that can expose you. One, if you look at the transfer portal, like college basketball is old now, yeah. you know, so it's not, it's not a place for young guys. I think, you know, reclassing up, um, I think puts guys in a tough spot um, because think about a draft, class. you only have to be good enough to be um, one of the top guys in your draft class. You don't have to be better than the, you know, the, the four classes behind you or the three classes in front of you. And I think with the momentum he had, if he had stayed in high school or had gone to overtime elite where he could have stayed with his class, continued to develop size and strength, um, I think that he would, he, you know, some of the challenges uh, that he experienced in college, I think he wouldn't have been exposed to those things, which would have given him time to develop people to see him amongst his peers. And I still think he would be um, a top 10 pick at, at this particular time. You brought up a good point about the age difference. I have a couple friends that have kids that are playing division one basketball and they're like, my son is 18. He has teammates that are 23, it's, 24. It's Correct. And they're just like, their their sons are they're not playing because they're not good enough. It's just so much pressure to win right now in college basketball that the coaches are preferring grad transfers or or transfer that already have some experience. And I think we kind of get it confused because we only see like the top 10, 20 freshmen, and we don't understand like if you're not one of those guys, then more than likely you're behind somebody that is 22, 23. So how much, and I guess I already know the answer to this question, but how much do you think him being 17 playing? I mean, he had a teammate at Memphis last year that was like 25. The, the teammate that's 25 is, uh, is DeAndre Williams. He's from Houston. Houston yeah. I watched DeAndre play all the way through grassroots. And what I'm, what I'm saying is at that particular junction in his development, he had no business being on the court with a 25-year-old at that particular time. You see what I'm saying? Like, and again, I, I'm, I'm big on, you see it all the time, momentum. You know, he had all of the momentum behind him. He stays in high school. He's, he's a McDonald's All-American. He's Jordan brand. Um, I, I just think that momentum would have carried him um, into a different space. And I think him going there, 17 years old, thin, thin frame, you know, playing against grown men. I think that, I think that, he, that ultimately he, he put himself in position um, to be viewed in a negative light. And once people see it, it's hard to unsee it. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So if he had gone to, let's say he would have spent his, his last year in high school, I think that would have helped him. Even if he had spent his senior year in high school, rolled that momentum, continued to develop, 
add weight, add size, add strength, add experience. And gone to college, I think he would have been better served. If he had gone to um, finish his last year of high school and then gone to overtime where he would have been playing amongst his, his peers, I think he would have been right there in the, you know, in the, in the mix with, with the Thompson twins. Obviously, I think the Thompson twins are the, you know, the third, fourth, fifth pick. But I think somewhere right behind him, he, 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 would, he would be um, in the mix to fall. So I think sometimes you can take um, your product out the oven a little, a little, too, too, a little too early. And I think that's what ultimately ultimately hurt him and he's yeah. climbing his way out of it though he's 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 playing well he's he's, he's playing really well yeah he's playing well and unfortunately the day that the tweet came out he shot two for 17 which you know before that he had been cooking but the thing you said about momentum is so true and i've i've seen it from two different sides right so i won't mention the player's name but a few years back there was a guy who went to a power five school had a very nice stretch and there was a guy that coached him in AAU that ended up being a scout for NBA team. And the guy that coached him knew the kid's weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he's going to trick NBA teams. On one hand, if he goes to, if he stays in school, he's going to get exposed. If he leaves now because his momentum is hot, he's going to get drafted. He's going to be a first round pick and he's going to be able to, he may not stick, but he's going to give himself an opportunity to stick and he's going to secure at that time. It was probably like $6 million guaranteed. That's, that's a, that's a different life. So check this out. One of the things about the draft that I believe is, you know, if you, if it's possible, you want to come through the front door. So for instance, if, if he had played another year in, in high school and even gone to college one year or gone to overtime, like you said, some of his weaknesses wouldn't be exposed, but it would have been a two-year gap. You know what I'm saying? A, that's 24 months for him to work on some of those weaknesses. Once you go to the draft and you're a top 10 pick, the team has a vested interest in seeing you succeed. Yep. So even if you have some shortcomings or, or you have some areas you want to work on, they want to help you improve those areas. One, because they believe in your talent if they draft you that high. And two, they don't want to look like they made a mistake. So they're going to give you opportunities where if you, if, you know, if you come to college early, you, you, get, you get a little exposed. And, and again, I, I keep saying credit to him for, for, re, for, um, for rebounding and, and, and kind of, you know, putting himself back in the, in the mix to be drafted. But when you're a top 10 pick, they want to see you have success. And again, the only reason we're having this conversation is because I think he's good enough, not because, you know, you can trick somebody when you're not good enough, but you definitely want to come through the front door and have the resources to support of, of the organization that drafts you. When you're a second round guy, you know, you, you, it's a, it's an uphill battle. Doesn't mean you can't make it, but you can't play the same way either. And the yeah. way he plays, he, he, I think it would better serve him to have been a top 10 pick. All right. When we return, we're definitely going to elaborate a little bit more. We're going to talk about why you are such a big fan of overtime. But before we get into that, I want to talk to all the small business owners or hiring managers about LinkedIn jobs because your success in 2023, of course, is going to depend on the team members that you surround yourself with. And that's why LinkedIn jobs is the best place because you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people that have the skills, values, and the experience to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn jobs helps you attract the qualified candidates to your jobs with their targeting tools. They go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job post and company, and they have 875 million 
member profiles that you can put your job in front of. You can identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs, and you can connect with them fast and, more importantly, for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications, and you can do this all in one platform, which is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. So LinkedIn Jobs, again, helps you find qualified candidates that you want to talk to, and you can reach them faster. So if you're a small business owner and you're looking for help or you're looking for employees, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. That is linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, once again, you are listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. This is your host, Rafael Bartle with Rossi Karen. And we had a very interesting conversation in the first segment about momentum going into the draft and Imani Bates. But one of the, I guess, the main points of discussion or, or, or dialogue this weekend based off the tweet was Rossi mentioned that overtime elite would have helped Imani Bates maintain that momentum and a lot of people took it the wrong way and of course with twitter you only get a certain amount of characters and honestly i was going to a meeting and i typed it and then by the midway through the meeting my phone was just <laughs> going off and then by the time i finished the meeting i mean my my twitter was like <laughs> plus 99 comments or something like that and i was trying to trying to reply to them and one of the things that I saw was a lot of people took it as a slight against overtime and they used it as they they used the tweet in your comment as their way of devaluing the Thompson twins. So some people was like, well, this is why I wouldn't trust the Thompson twins, because if Imani Bates is a, a top 10 pick, that just shows you how weak that overtime is. And so I tried to elaborate, say, no, that wasn't the case. You were saying that you were a fan of overtime's development, but of course, by that time the momentum. Speaking of momentum, the sweet <laughs> the momentum got you. <laughs> yeah, it got me. So, can you explain why you are a believer in overtime elite? Because there, I think there's a huge, huge misconception about overtime elite, and of course, it's new, so it doesn't have you know the crazy history of college basketball, even the ignite. I mean, this is year three. They've had lottery picks in their first two years, and they're obviously going to have a top two pick this year. But overtime is new, and then I think there's some people that are kind of saying, well, last year nobody got drafted, so it must not be good. So explain why you believe in overtime. Well, one, to, to clarify that tweet, I'm a huge fan of overtime. I'm also a huge fan of G League Ignite. I think that those alternative programs, are, they're not for every kid. I think they're for specific kids, but I think that they give the kids the opportunity. And, I, and I've spent a lot of time at overtime. And most of the time when I hear people criticize overtime, I always ask them, have you been there? And they say, no, they haven't seen it. Yep. I, I think it's an unbelievable training environment. So, you know, when I, when I walked in there, I was amazed because it looks like basically an NBA organization kind of, kind of shrunk down a mini NBA organization from, you know, the performance training to skill development to, you know, the full-time chef and nutrition and, and strength and conditioning. And they get a chance to spend so much time working on their craft. And, and for those select few guys that, that go to overtime, and, and I'm assuming G League Ignite is the same way, 
Um, you get the opportunity not just to compete against guys that are on the same path that you are on, um, but you have more free time to devote to, to your craft. And I, I think it's, a, you know, for the right kid, I think overtime elite is a, it's an unbelievable opportunity. I'm, I'm a huge fan of overtime. So someone brought up the question and about development and they were like, well, the Thompson twins haven't developed. And so I disagreed because whoa, my whoa, point whoa, was whoa. how many people knew the Thompson twins before they got to overtime. There you go. They weren't, I mean, when they signed with overtime, it wasn't, a huge splash at the time. People, John were, asking, was people were asking who who are those twins when they when they first signed with, with overtime. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like right before they signed with overtime, they were just kind of, um, kind of being identified as you know kind of top tier high major prospects. I, I know a few college coaches that were recruiting them in, at at that particular time, and you know they looked at those guys. They thought they could be really good, but they weren't like, hey, these guys are no brainers coming in starting from day one you know, going to be college All-Americans. If you go back to, to the game film when the Thompson Twins first started, not this past November, but the November before, those early games, that's not the Thompson Twins you see today. Those guys are on another level, man. And, they, you know, obviously they're incredible world-class athletes, but they've improved. And, and most of the guys there that, that you know, that I that I put my eyes on there at, at overtime have, have improved. I mean, if you're in the gym a few hours, you know, five, four or five hours a day and you don't have to... You know, think about a regular high school schedule, right? You spend eight hours in high school, in class, right? You got a you got a fifty minute, forty five minute athletic period, and typically during the, the off season, you can't come after school and practice. So the only time you have to develop used for whatever gym is being used for other things, and you can't officially practice. Yep. You can't practice until a certain day, you know, based on the UIL rules. Well, overtime, them guys are spending, you know two or three hours in the gym, plus time in the weight room, plus watching film, plus they're practicing. I mean, I, I just think that, you know, as, as, as a guy who started in player development, when you put that much time into your game, you're going to get better. You, you, you have to get better. So, you know, I think that if people haven't seen it, I, I advise you to just go peek your head in there. And I think, I think people are going to be blown, blown away. And I'm not saying this for every kid. I'm not saying, Hey, this person should take their kid. I'm just saying that that place is is high level. It's high level, and, and and I think it's a I think it's a good opportunity for the right the right kid. And that that makes a lot of sense. And something that you had mentioned in our conversation last week, one you you compared the size. Like if you're in high school, if you're at a regular high school in Texas, California, you may not face six eleven. You may not face people your size or you know comparable athleticism on a game to game basis. How about a day-to-day basis at overtime? And I, again, basis. I don't know the whole. I don't know the whole roster. Maybe the twenty-five or so guys, but I would guess they have five or six guys that are between six ten and seven foot. I would guess they probably have another ten guys that are between six five and six nine. Yeah. So to, to be able to, that's a huge part of development. Is being what I call the hammer and the nail. Some some days you you know you you outplay your opponent. Some days you get your ass kicked. But you have to have that to develop. And I think that in most high school scenarios, if you're a six, seven, six, eight gifted athlete, you're the best player in practice every day. And you typically end up playing out of position. Because if you're six, seven, especially if you if you grow early, you six, seven, six, eight in high school, you playing center. Yeah. I mean, I've seen guys six yeah. four playing, playing center. center. Yeah. 
Ghost yeah, points. Yeah, <laughs> so, and so to play at the next level, you know, a 6'4 guy is a, is a shooting guard. So, you know, at overtime, if they have seven, six, ten, seven foot guys, you don't have to play center. You can play your natural position and you get to, again, bump and grind against guys that are like size, like skill, like athleticism. And if you spend that much time in the gym, you have to get better. So anybody who's saying that um, and, you know, I, I think they haven't peeked their head in there to see to see what's going on over there. All right. We have one more segment. When we return, I want to elaborate a little bit more about overtime elite and then talk about an event that you'll be hosting at the end of the month but i want to talk about FanDuel because we are now at well we're after the midway point of the nba season i mean it's, it's downhill for now i think there's maybe 27 28 games left for most teams some even fewer but there's still time to download FanDuel, which is america's number one sports book and because if you're a new customer, you get a new sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sports app. It is safe. It is secure. It is super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to the point scores to the threes drained. FanDuel also lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-day parlay so do not miss a chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on that is fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more make every moment more with fanduel an official sports betting partner of the nba and locked on all right last segment and i wanted to touch on this about overtime so i i believe that there are a significant amount of people that see the social media stuff and they may see the highlights of the game and they kind of get it confused with basically glorified AAU. That was basically the knock that I saw a lot coming up. And something that you mentioned to me last week when we, when we talked offline was about overtime is a media company. And I think most people are getting it confused as they're not understanding that it's a media company. Now, in my opinion, I could be totally wrong. I think the social media stuff is needed for overtime to survive because I mean, they're, they're paying money. The facilities are nice, even though I haven't been and they can no, monetize. No, no, no. The facilities are not nice. The facilities are unbelievable. Okay. High school, yeah. high school facilities are nice. This is, this, this, this is, this is different. But I, but I I agree with I agree with you, with your point is that um that overtime is a is it's a media company that's how it's that's how it started um, so I think that people have to recognize that that there are some aspects of overtime from a media standpoint that they have to do to get clicks to get likes to get people engaged to get you know conversation um, but ultimately those clicks those likes and all those other things that people laugh about are giving you know kids, it's a lot of young black kids, opportunities to be in an, in an incredible environment where they can chase their dream. And I, and I think that's what I'm about, man, is trying to give kids opportunities to, to, to go after their dream, whether it's at overtime or G League Ignite or in high school. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of organizations and programs that are helping to elevate kids and help them go after their dreams. Uh, can you explain the difference between the guys that signed in overtime two years ago and last year? I don't think the average person knows that players from overtime can actually play college basketball now. So can you explain the difference? 
and I, and again, this is just my interpretation of it. I, you know, I don't I don't work for overtime or, or you know this, these are all my, my these these opinions are my own. But you know, from the way I understand it, is that the that the guys that are signing with overtime now are have the opportunity to sign what's called like I guess an NIL deal, and 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 instead of you know playing as a professional, um, they're still playing as amateurs, and and they still have the opportunity um, to be able to go on and play college ball. Um, whereas I believe that some of the guys that signed initially um, signed pro contracts and, and a few of those guys, and again, I don't know the specifics of it, but some of those guys are not um, at this time. And again, that can change, you know, who knows, but are not, in, are not um, eligible to, to play college ball. So, I mean, from that standpoint, you talk about a guy like Imani Bates, again, if he goes to overtime, you know, it's an NIL, you know, he can sign an NIL deal at that time played against guys his own age, um, but still like talent, like skill level, the way you view him as a scout and as an evaluator wouldn't be the way you viewed him when you saw him playing against 25-year-old guys um, in the American Conference. So um, I, I, that's that's one of the reasons that I'm really a fan of it because I think that kids can go there, maintain eligibility, and if they decide to go to college and that's their path, then, then good for them. But if not, then they can pursue paths of being a, being a professional, NBA or somewhere. Do you believe that the success of the Thompson twins in the NBA early is going to have the greatest impact on overtime's future? I think that the Thompson twin success will impact people's perception of overtime. But again, if like I said, if you know basketball and you and you go in there and peek your head in there, it doesn't even matter what anybody else tells you that haven't been there or, or don't have a really good eye for, you know, for what it's supposed to look like in, in those environments. And again, my background is player development. So when I went there, that's what I'm looking for. Like, what are they teaching? What are they working on? What things are they working on that's going to that's gonna translate? You know, do they have spacing? Do they play with pace? Do they have a shot clock? Like all of those things, all of those things matter. If you think about high school, especially in Texas, they don't play with a shot clock. No. So you can have a possession that lasts two minutes. That doesn't prepare you for, for college. More. I went to a game to see a kid. Actually, it was a terrible story in a sense. There was a kid that I felt was really, really under the radar, and I made a highlight video for him, and coaches were like, why haven't we heard of him? It was a kid that came from money. He didn't play AAU during the summer because he traveled with his friends and family and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And he was putting up, like, really good numbers. And I sent this video to some coaches, and they were like, yo, this kid is good. Like, why haven't we heard of him? I was mm -hmm. like – didn't play summer basketball. So they go to watch him play in a playoff game. And the team they played got up by eight and held, held the, the ball. ball the rest <laughs> of the game. So he finished with like eight points and like five rebounds, but they, they held the ball. So it, it, I'm, I'm telling. And so if you think about playing with the shot clock in high school and playing with the NBA three point line in high school, and playing with, you know, when you have a shot clock, it increases your pace, which yeah. ultimately, if you're really pushing yourself, it increases your conditioning and it, it increases your your um, your averages because there's more possessions. Yeah. Um, so I think all of those things play. And again, I'm not saying it's for, for everybody. Some some kids will be better served to put, stay at their high school. Most kids would. Yeah. And and to go to college route. And there's some kids that should they they fit that that description should t take a look at OT and maybe go to OT and then go to college. But I think there are various avenues, and I don't think one avenue is is you know is something that works across the board. But 
again, when people throw overtime under the bus, I, I'm saying, man, listen, you got to get on the plane and go open that door and peek your head. And then I think, I think you're going to come back with a different, you know, a different thought process about what they're doing over there. Yeah. I, I missed their pro day. I had an invitation to the pro day and I missed it because I was in France to watch Wimbayama play. I came home for like a day. Then I went to Vegas to watch Scoot and Wimbayama play. And then overtime's pro day was like two days later. And I got a little I, I was home. there. I was at their pro day. Yeah, I missed it. I got a little one at home. And at the time, I was like, ah, I don't know if I can afford to, to be gone pretty yeah. much a, a whole week. Uh, but I, I I mean, I don't regret <laughs> spending time with my son. But also, yeah. I feel like that would have been a really good opportunity to, to, see. To, to see it up close. I think so my, they had I think that they had something like 28 or 27 of the 30 teams there maybe. Yep, yep. I, like I heard that too. In high school when when are you going to play in front of in front of 27 teams? And I actually heard that some college coaches were a little salty because overtime's pro day had more teams than theirs because it was such a weird week that a lot of teams were in Vegas. At because you know that the Scoot Wimbayama yeah, game yes, came game, last yes. minute, so yes. um, a lot of schools had different pro days, and scouts were in were in Vegas, and then they ended up going overtime, yeah. which kind of left some of the schools behind. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure those schools had plenty yeah, of they, representation, or the team. And they get that, a chance to they get a chance to see the, the schools play all through, throughout the throughout the years. And listen, I'm a I'm a huge fan of college basketball. Like college basketball is an amazing experience. Like. The fact, and I think you mentioned this, and, and one of the things that, you know, that gives college a nod, a nod, nod is because you get to play in front of 5,000 or 6,000 or 10,000 or 15,000 fans, and that environment is unbelievable. An opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament is something that I think kids grow up, you know, kind of aspiring to be a part of. So, again, there's not one set path for anybody. For some people, it's to go to their local high school and go to college. For some, it's to go to G League Ignited opportunity presents itself. For some, it's to go to overtime and go to college. For some, it's to go to overtime and then, you know, hopefully go to the NBA okay. or, or, or yeah. another professional path. So, yeah, that's that's the thing that which college basketball, which is obviously it has the most history, and they do have environments or they provide environments that the G League overtime they can't duplicate. Like you can't, can't simulate no, Duke you Carolina. Can't. You can't simulate playing at. Um, Lawrence Fieldhouse. You can't simulate the conference tournament or, or, or even like Big Monday. So I guess that is the advantage. Yeah. But this year is different. I mean, there's a good chance. I mean, there's a chance that this year the first three picks, maybe even three out of four out of the first five picks, could be outside of that NCAA yeah. machine, which is yeah. a game changer. So the other I thing, trend- oh, one, one more thing. Another thing that college provides is pressure. Yep. Because there's the pressure to win so that you can get into the NCAA tournament. Or once you're in the NCAA tournament, it's the pressure to win so that you can advance. So there, there are different elements. There are pros and cons, cons to both. And I think both of them are good opportunities depending on depending on the kid. And, and speaking of the um, overtime elite, Gerald Wilkins, is is he the president? Da- yep, Damian Damian Wilkins. Uh, Damian Wilkins. Yep, Damian Wilkins is the general manager at OTE, and I'm I'm excited because our grassroots hoop summit 2023 um, here in Houston, February 26th, he's going to be on one of the panels here to talk about obviously his experience in in sports, his experience developing guys there, um, and then also to talk about 
just the state, the overall state of grassroots and opportunities that kids have that, that, you know, we didn't have 10, 15, 20, 20 years ago. Five and years ago. Five years, five years ago. And somebody years else who's going to be on the panel there is Raphael Barlow. Yeah. I'm going to be at grassroots hoop summit. And Kendrick yeah. Perkins. Kendrick, yep. So, <laughs> so, yep. So Paul Biancardi is a guest speaker there. Um, Eric Bossi will be there. Obviously, you will be there. Jim Hicks, Marcus Sloan, um, Tyler Ralph, who's a player development guy who I, I have a lot of respect for. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about it, man. We're going to talk hoops. We're going to talk player development, NIL, mental health, um, social media, marketing, state of grassroots, scouting, you know, so all of those things. I'm really, I'm really excited about it. the panel that you're on, um, recruiting, scouting and rankings. I'm excited about that. So we can talk about some of the things we talked about in Monty Bates. It's like how much impact of scouting a kid in high school translate to them going off to college and hopefully, you know, becoming a pro. All right. So what made you decide to put this event together? So I was in grassroots for 15 years. And when I got out to start sports marketing and media company, U Sports Group, a lot of parents that was, you know, that still had kids in the grassroots space would call me and say, hey, I need help trying to figure out, you know, the player development piece or what grassroots team should I play on or, you know, the recruiting process. How, who should I trust? What school, you know, what schools are the best fit for my son? So I, you know, people for four years or people were calling me about that. So I said, well, maybe I should put together something because obviously the information is needed that gives parents a platform um, to get the tools, the resources, the information that they need to, to navigate the grassroots process. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited about the guests that we have coming. And I think it's going to be um, an eye opener for the attendees to learn about how Raphael Barlow views a high school prospect, you know, how Eric Bossi and Paul Biancardio, two of the biggest national media guys in that space, how do they evaluate and rank players? And, you know, and, and we can't talk about athletics and, and navigating this space without talking about mental health. So Jay Barnett is a, is a big time uh, mental health expert, former uh, football player who tried to commit suicide twice. So he'll be there talking about mental health and, and how it impacts athletes. And so I'm, I'm excited about it, man. Kendrick Perkins will be there. Kendrick Perkins and I go back 20 years. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a big time events Sunday, February 26th in, in Houston, Grass, Grassroots Hoop Summit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, like I said in the opening, you're a man of many hats. And I had a chance to attend one of your events for U Sports Group. It was a game that at the time I did not know how big it was. It was Houston versus St. Mary's. It was in Fort Worth. At Dickey's Arena. And, and St. Mary's is a ranked team, but well, I, I think they just lost, so they may fall out. They, but, might, they might drop out. Yeah, but they, they had climbed as high as I think 22 or something yeah. at, at, at one point. Yep, yeah, it was a doubleheader, the Battleground 2K. It was at Dickey's Arena, and it was Texas AM versus Boise in the opening game. And and um and then the second game was Houston St. Mary's. And yeah, St. Mary's took Houston down to the, to the wire. I think it was a four-point game with a minute left. Yeah, and at the time, I didn't understand how good St. Mary's, you know, I, really, I didn't understand how good they were. And really that, even though if there's a such thing as a quality loss, that's a quality loss because Houston is is rolling. Yeah. And, and at that so, time, Houston was the number one team in the country. Number one team in the country, yeah. yeah. So I, I had a chance to watch Jairus Walker um, evaluate him live and, and Sasser. And um, even um, St. Mary's has a, a young freshman that's cooking right now. Aiden. Aiden, he had, Aiden. had a really yeah. good game against Gonzaga. So, mm-hmm. um, I had, like I said, I had a chance to attend one of your events. It was very professional from, I mean, obviously, you 
picked a great arena. You had good teams. And so I'm really excited about being on this panel and, and just the mindset to even put something together like this. I'm, I'm a big believer in we all have these ideas, right? And a lot of people may transfer it from their brain to writing it down on paper or typing it in their phone, but a lot of people don't execute. So big, big shout out to you for for executing and, and putting on this event. And like I said, I'm looking forward to to being there. So I will be in Houston. And if you are in the Houston area, you got to come check it out. It's the Grassroots Summit. Uh, where can they find more information? So Grassroots Hoop Summit 2023 is February 26th, Sunday, February 26th in Houston, Texas at the Hilton Houston Post Oak. And you can register at grassrootssummit.com, grassrootssummit.com. So looking, looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of great conversations like we had today. But more importantly, it's going to be insight for parents, student athletes, and coaches on how to navigate the process and just to give them some tools that's, that's going to help them as they move forward through, through this process. And as Imani Bates parents, if they had the Grassroots Hoop Summit, you would have stayed in high school another year. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd, be top 10, you'd be top 10 in the country. Ooh, that's I mean, like you'd, be top, you'd be top 10 on that, on that, on that, on that mock draft. That's that's a lot of millions of dollars that that um, could have been, I guess, saved or made. Um, but anyway, that's a whole different subject. Well, thank you, the listener, for making the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, you have to check out the Locked On Game to Game podcast because every moment, every performance, every result, actually every top performance, every result, Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. So follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, this was a great show. Rafael Barlow, I am the host, and Rossi Karen just came and just shared his knowledge and background on grassroots and his thoughts about Imani Bates and Overtime Elite. Hope everyone had a great day, and we are out.